from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, this uh, radio program has been pre-hacked by the Russians for your listening pleasure. And first of all, let us try. That's, of course, the motto of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. They're, you know, they're, they're such a non-political organization, they say. But uh, here's, here's what they've gotten themselves into now. You know about the uh, protests in uh, North Dakota, do you? Uh, they are activists there who've been protesting plans to run an oil pipeline beneath a lake near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. They say they have no intention of leaving their protest camp, even though the United States Army Corps of Engineers, of all people, says they have to leave by December the 5th. The Corps, which manages the federal land where the main protest camp is located, says it's going to close public access to the area north of the Cannonball River, including protesters. It said this was partly to protect the public from the... uh, sometimes violent confrontations between protesters and law enforcement that have occurred in the area. The public, of course, would be attracted to the area because it's uh, so near major, well, it's uh, served by several major air. Uh, The weather up there at this time of year is just so, I don't know why the public would be there. Those who stay could face prosecution for trespassing, according to the Corps. Corps sent a letter to the leaders of the tribe. So I guess they had the tribe's address. Tribal organizers said at a news conference at the main protest site where about 5,000 people have camped that they are not leaving. We're staying here committed to our prayer, said Dallas Goldtooth. Come on. <laughs> stay, stay, come, for, come for the weather, stay for the names. Dallas Goldtooth, ladies and gentlemen, an organizer with the Indigenous Environmental Network. They're protesting, in case you're you're not up on this story, because there's an oil pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is uh, going to go under this lake and the Missouri River right by tribal lands, uh, right by where the tribe and about 17 million other people get their water, their drinking water from, you know. There are smaller camps on land not subject to the planned uh, restrictions. Uh, And one area where the Army Corps says it is establishing a free speech zone. That's right. Your free speech zone is courtesy of the Army Corps of Engineers. Isn't that reassuring? The governor, who's a Republican, says he supports the decision. And uh, he wants the federal government to lead in the camp's peaceful closure. The uh, head of the Standing Rock Sioux, Dave Archambault, says the best thing the federal government could do for safety is to deny the easement for the pipeline. It's a $3.8 billion pipeline. The project is mostly complete, except for the segment planned to run under the lake less than a half a mile north of the reservation. So make your reservation now, I would say. And now... We've got the ultra-modern neck of getting oil from the deepest crack. Dateline Calgary, that's in Canada. 
Moose country. Research now suggests that uh, hydraulic fracking can cause earthquakes in at least two ways. Causes earthquakes in two ways. It's a uh, causes breathquakes, and and one of them can cause tr- tremors months after the activity stops. Two, two, two quakes in one is what I was going for there. The seismicity is persistent after the operations are completed, says David Eaton, a University of Calgary seismologist. Paper by him has been published in the journal Science. He's been studying earthquakes in northwestern Alberta for years. The largest measuring between 4.2 and 4.8 on the Richter scale. There's scientific exactitude for you. Occurred just this past January. The area, which is in the center of the Duvernay oil and gas field, has experienced hundreds of earthquakes since 2013. Scientists have long known that the quakes are associated with oil field practices. In the United States, underwater, underground wastewater disposal seems to be the cause. In Alberta, research points to hydraulic fracking itself, which involves pumping high-pressure fluids underground to uh, break up the shale rock and free, free the gas, won't you? How the widely used technique creates earthquakes has largely remained a mystery until now. Eaton and his co-author used a mathematical algorithm to locate more than 900 earthquakes in the area. That gave us the ability to image the fault structure. He says we could see that there were steeply dipping faults that extended from the injection level down into the Precambrian basement. That's what they're building a lot of in London these days, apparently. The pair also realized there were two hairline faults that hadn't been spotted in previous work. One quaked as fluids were pumped down and stopped when the pumping did. Strange. Funny. Eden said those quakes were created by stress changes on the rock from the pumping. But on the other fault, very close to the site, that remained quake active for months. Eden concluded the ongoing movement in the nearby fault was caused when injected fluids infiltrated tiny spaces in the porous rock and increased what's called pore pressure. It's when you dress like the kids in school, isn't it? What the frack, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Welcome to the show.
From London, England, right by Leicester Square, where they've set up some some big Christmas thing, some big Christmas performance thing. Is it a Spiegel tent? Yeah, yeah. Adrian is shrugging. Have you ever seen a Spiegel tent? No, he hasn't. All right. I'm all, near all that. I'm Harry. Near all the shrugging, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. This show, what's all the shrugging about? I'll tell you what. News of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. This week's big Olympic news comes first from Lausanne, Switzerland. Right between the chocolate and the cuckoo clocks. Three Olympic gold medals and one silver medal were stripped on Friday from athletes caught in the latest round of positive doping retests from the 28 and 2012 Summer Olympic Games. Seven athletes from Belarus, Azerbaijan, and Kazakhstan were retroactively disqualified after testing positive for steroids in a reanalysis of their stored doping samples, according to the IOC. The IOC stores samples for 10 years. They get very mellow, like kimchi after a few years. They reanalyzed more than 1,000 samples from the 2008 Beijing and 2012 London Games with improved techniques that can detect the use of steroids going back weeks and months rather than days. Weightlifter from Kazakhstan was formerly stripped of two gold medals, one each from the Beijing and London Games. He's believed to be the first Summer Olympic athlete to lose two golds for doping.
He tested positive for stanozolol in Beijing and for stanozolol and terinobol in London. Doesn't Tony Blair represent Kazakhstan? Couldn't he do something about that? The uh, Kazakh wrestler said he was shaken and in shock at the news, considering an appeal. Being shaken and in shock, I think, are two side effects of the steroids. Almost all five gold medals won by Kazakh lifters in 2008 and 2012 are now stripped due to the uh, retesting. A Belarus female hammer thrower was stripped of her Beijing gold medal for Terinobol and Oxandrolone. She also disqualified from the London Games. A uh, woman shot putter from Belarus was stripped of her medal. Joining her husband and Andre being stripped of shot put medals from Beijing. Well, the family that gets stripped for drug use together stays together. The reallocation of medals in the Beijing women's shot put is complicated by the fact that another Belarusian was stripped of the London gold medal after testing positive at those games. The IOC recorded at least 98 positive tests across numerous sports from the London and Beijing testing program, with more expected in the pipeline. You know what I'm looking forward to, ladies and gentlemen? The medal stripping ceremony. Networks, get your bids in now. That should be a ratings magnet. And dozens of test events ahead of the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics are scheduled for a six-month stretch. But the Agence France Press reports the host city is facing the uncomfortable truth. It's a place not many people have heard of. Citing an example that a Kenyan delegate to a UN conference held in Pyeongchang couple years ago, mistakenly flew to Pyongyang. The agency said people around the world can be confused with the North Korean capital. Don't be confused, it's the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one. Every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a little calmer, a little more relaxed, a little more laid back, don't you think? It's uh, news of bad banks, without the, without its normal music. Yes, I can handle it. It's uh, more about Wells Fargo. You know, Wells Fargo had this little thing where they opened up accounts, credit card accounts, loaned things, mortgages for people who didn't apply for them just to uh, keep their their sales figures up and then fired uh, the people who did it. Uh, the, the chairman of uh, Wells Fargo finally had to uh, resign, you may recall, after uh, coming under a drumbeat of obloquy at a congressional hearing. Anyway, Wells Fargo has now asked a court in the United States to order dozens of customers who are suing the bank over the opening of unauthorized accounts to force them to resolve their disputes in private arbitrations instead of in court. Motion was filed on Wednesday. That's in response to the first class action lawsuit filed against Wells since it agreed to pay $185 million in penalties and $5 million to customers for opening up to $2 million deposit and credit card accounts in their names without their permission. Yes, John Stump stepped down. That was their former chief executive officer. It has been put under tougher regulatory scrutiny as Wells. And its reputation has been damaged now that it faces multiple investigations. 
reputational damage. Imagine that. That's got to hurt. The move to enforce the mandatory arbitration clauses, which are in those account, you know, the if you if you actually did sign up for an account, you would see the fine print terms and conditions that would have a mandatory arbitration clause in it. Most of the stuff you sign up for online, if you don't, you know, the terms and conditions, yeah, sure, agree, has a mandatory arbitration clause preventing you from suing in court or, God forbid, a class action suit, which could be successful, say. Um, and a lot of employment contracts have mandatory arbitration clauses as well. Well, anyway, there are, they're in the Wells Fargo contracts, which, of course, the customers didn't sign because they didn't apply for the accounts in the first place. That's the cute part. Wells Fargo has also launched an advertising campaign to win back customer loyalty in the wake of the scandal. That's got to be a hard account to work on. Those people have to be working weekends right now at the agency. According to the uh, plaintiff's lawyer in Sandy, Utah, we're we're saddened that despite Wells Fargo's commercials and promises to make things right, the bank is choosing to harm their customers once more. A spokesman for the bank, and that's not an easy job either, So the spokesman declined to comment on the filing. In a written response to questions from U.S. congressional folks published last week, the bank said it would stand by its arbitration policy but was offering free mediation services to affected customers. You didn't sign up for the arbitration, but we'll offer you a free mediator. And, And because it's free, we'll pay for him like we'll pay for the arbitrator. Good luck. It's a closed-door arbitration, of course, which means that uh, it can't become a precedent for future cases. Mandatory arbitration when signing up for financial products has become standard practice after a 2011 U.S. Supreme Court decision validated the practice. And it does help to conceal corporate misconduct from the public and regulators because documents and hearings are not made public. Well, you don't want to wash your, your bank's dirty laundry in public, do you? Really? if a bank can be said to have laundry. News of bad banks, ladies and gentlemen, is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. The more I've sat here and listened to the fact that somebody used the N-word on this show, it is not okay. It is not okay, Charles Kaiser. So said Brooke Baldwin during an episode of CNN Newsroom this week, featuring, punctuating a a moment that featured a live guest's use use of a racial slur. Kaiser, a noted author and blogger, had used the word moments earlier during a diatribe condemning Steve Bannon. President Trump's controversial pick as chief White House strategist. Baldwin cut him off soon thereafter. Charles, just hang on a second. Please don't use the N-word on my show. She's got a show, you see. It's a show. Kaiser then tried to explain his reasoning and choice of terminology. I never use the N-word, he said, except when I'm quoting someone who's been appointed by the president to serve in the Oval Office. For Baldwin, no explanation could validate such language. We're done, she announced, waving both hands and fighting back tears before sending viewers to a commercial. Kaiser later apologized in a message to CNN. In the heat of the moment, I said the word N, 
on CNN. What's worse, I think, is that I attributed its use to Bannon rather than Jeff Sessions, former, well, a senator from Alabama, also appointed by uh, Trump to be attorney general, which was a mistake, he said. I apologize to all those who were offended by my use of the word, but there's also a part of me that believes, apologize, but there's a part of you who thinks something else. A restaurant in northwest Washington, D.C. issued an apology this week after hosting an alt-right white nationalist event whose participants offered praise of Adolf Hitler. The dinner held at Maggiano's Little Italy in Friendship Heights was sponsored by the National Policy Institute, a white nationalist organization that supported Trump in the election, held a conference in Washington to celebrate his victory. Protesters were forced away by the police. Then Maggiano's apologized, saying it was the inadvertent side of the protest and that it closed the restaurant for the safety of its staff and guests. This was a last-minute booking, and the reservation was made under a different name. Therefore, we were not aware that NPI was dining with us or what the group represents, said the president of the 51 restaurant chain. The statement also referred to a tweet sent by an attendee in which she made a Sig Heil salute in support of Hitler and white supremacy. It's extremely offensive to us as our restaurant is home to teammates and guests of every race, religion, and cultural background, the statement said. The statement said Mangianos would donate $10,000 of profit from its Friday sales to the D.C. office of the Anti-Defamation League. One of the men who wore a costume depicting President Obama in a noose in a University of Wisconsin football game last month, it was Halloween, apologized and said that there was no racial intent behind the costumes. Lee Johnson, one of the two men, wore costumes to an October 29th football game, said he accepts responsibility for his actions at the game. He and relative Nick Johnson, they're the Johnsons, wore the costumes. One were masks of Hillary and Obama in prison jumpsuit with a rope tied in, into a noose around his neck. The other held the rope, rope and wore a Donald Trump mask. I accept full responsibility for my actions during the football game. I apologize for the poor judgment of my pre-election political Halloween costume. There was no racial intent. On the man- morning, sorry, on the morning before an annual celebration for the senior class at Loyola University, Maryland student leaders apologized for this year's theme, Party in the USA. As an organization, we want to extend our deepest apologies to those that were hurt by this theme and the negative impact it had on them. An email from the Student Government Association to the class of 2017 read, Although it was not our intention to create such a divisive climate, we understand that the impact of this decision is much greater than our initial intention. This was post the election, and the theme was Party in the USA. Touchy, touchy. A power cut that plunged parts of central London, right where we're sitting, as a matter of fact, into darkness gave a whole new meaning to Black Friday. Yes, they have Black Friday in London. See what I mean? America is not exceptional. The cut started at 516 on Friday afternoon. It hit Soho, which was packed with tourists, shoppers, and people enjoying the area's bars and restaurants, as well as the Shaftesbury Avenue Theater Row. That's not, uh, that's not good. The lights were back on at 9 p.m. Other shows, some shows were uh, canceled, including Les Miserables, Theater offered, theaters offered refunds, but asked one uh, visitor. No compensation is going to be provided in terms of hotel and travel because people came in from Bath and Bristol to see the shows. Some shows were able to go ahead. UK Power Network have revealed the disruption was due to a faulty piece of equipment on their underground electricity network. It's vague enough for you, is it? 
The spokesperson said all power supplies were restored by 9. We apologize for the impact this incident caused and for the inconvenience. 2,300 properties were affected. Power out in London on a Friday night. The Christmas lights stayed on, though. That's the good news. And uh, there were suspicions among those who are suspicious that the the plenitude of Christmas lights actually caused the power outage, which apparently it didn't. Chemical company DuPont apologized for the leakage of hazardous substances on its premises in Dordrecht in the Netherlands and for its poor communication about such leakages with local residents. These were formaldehyde leaks. People lost confidence in the factory, and we regret that, said Director, uh, Europe, Europe Director of DuPont, Govert Griffinen. In August, the company discovered that 2,700 kilograms of formaldehyde gas leaked out of the factory over two days. The magnitude of the leak was only revealed a month and a half later. We're not proud that happened. This kind of incident should simply not happen, the director said. We were busy ourselves solving the problem. The outside world was forgotten in a sense. Hence the poor communication. Or maybe they just were coughing too much from the gas. In a radio interview this uh, past Sunday, former Israeli General Yiftach Rontal claimed a recent proposal to integrate women into tank brigades as a scandal and part of a conspiracy by far-left organizations to harm the Israeli defense forces. The people leading this, sorry for the phrasing, he said, are freaks. I know, it's terrible, I know what I'm saying. He's now the director of the Israeli electric company, and he apologized for the allegation in a Facebook post hours later. Dateline Kigali, Rwanda. Now we open the church-related section of Apologies of the Week. The Catholic Church in Rwanda apologized last week for the church's role in the 1994 genocide, saying it regretted the actions of those who participated in the massacre. A giant tisk tisk to all. We apologize for all the wrongs the church committed. We apologize on behalf of all Christians for all forms of wrongs we committed. We regret that church members violated their oath of allegiance to God command, God's commandments, said the statement by the Conference of Catholic Bishops. The statement acknowledged that church members planned aided and executed the genocide in which over 800,000 ethnic Tutsis and moderate Hutus were killed by Hutu extremists. In the years since the genocide, which was sparked by a contentious plane crash that killed the then-president, a Hutu, the local church had resisted efforts by the government and groups of survivors to acknowledge the church's complicity in mass murder, saying those church officials who committed crimes acted individually. Many of the victims died at the hands of priests, clergymen, and nuns, according to some accounts by survivors. The Rwandan government said many died in the churches where they had sought refuge. Further, Carrie Lawless was abused for about a year by Patrick O'Brien, a volunteer at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. The uh, priest would pick him up at the bus stop, drive him to school, stopping en route to carry out his horrendous crimes. Lawless came forward and told his parents, the authorities, and police about the abuse. O'Brien confessed, pleaded guilty, and received a two-year suspended sentence in court. However, he soon returned. No, he wasn't a priest. Sorry, he was a senior volunteer. He soon returned to the cathedral where he was once again a senior volunteer. Earlier this month, O'Brien, now 76, was jailed for 13 years for the rape and molestation of 14 young boys over the course of 40 years. On Friday, 
The Church of Ireland apologized sincerely and unreservedly for the fact that those victims and their families who needed and were entitled to care and support did not receive this. O'Brien admitted to 48 sample counts of indecent assault and three counts of sexual assault of boys between 1974 and 2013. He was persistent. Enough of the religion apologies, and now some show business apologies, or one at least. Korean cable channel TVN's comedy show Saturday Night Live Korea 8 apologized to the boy band B1A4 on behalf of the show's hosts who had allegedly sexually harassed the boy band's members. We recognize that some of our hosts misbehaved with our guests. Said a statement posted on the Facebook page of the show. We would like to apologize to B1A4 and its fans for causing concern over abusive actions. The show and its female host have been on fire since a clip posted Saturday titled Behind the Story of Casting B1A4 showed the members being put in an awkward position. That would never happen at the real Saturday Night Live. Only the cast is put in up. Uh, Delta Airlines apologized for a disruption on one of its flights this week after video posted to social media showed a man shouting at fellow passengers in support of President-elect Trump. Donald Trump, baby, the man yells to his fellow passengers as he stood and clapped. We got some Hillary expletives on here. Come on, baby, Trump. Video of the Tuesday incident, which contains explicit language, was posted to Facebook. Delta then apologized. Hey, Finland's apologized. You don't see that every day. The Finnish state has become the latest in a series of governments to formally apologize to generations of children who suffered abuse in state-run welfare institutions. It's not just the church, it's the state. Your message has been heard. The long episode of silence is over. As a society, we carry our responsibility of what has happened to you, says Juha Rihula, Minister of Family Affairs and Social Services in Finland. The apology follows research. Uh, Rihula, sorry, offered a deep, sincere apology on behalf of the Finnish government and society. That follows research carried out by the University of Jaivaskila and published earlier this year by the government, which examined mistreatment and abuse in the country's welfare system between 1937 and 1983. That seems to be the golden age. Around 150,000 children are estimated to have lived in child welfare institutions, orphanages, reform schools, or foster homes. The researchers interviewed some 300 of them, all of whom had experienced abuse while living in those institutions. The interviewees had experiences of physical and sexual violence, food or health care negligence, and a wide variety of humiliation. The biggest finding in our research, they wrote, is that neglect, abuse, and violence against children occurred in all forms of -of out-of-home care. The apology is very significant, she says. Finland does not have much of a culture of apology. This is the first large-scale public apology expressed on behalf of the state. Unquote. No decision has been made on whether compensation will be issued. Lack of control and inspections as well as lack of resources were among the reasons why neglect and abuse were possible. Dateline Johannesburg, South Africa. The American rapper Mos Def will be allowed to leave South Africa after he apologized for breaking immigration laws. He was arrested in January after trying to leave South Africa on a world passport, which South Africa does not recognize as a legal document. He's lived in Cape Town for about three years. He'll be declared an undesirable person for his actions and will not be granted re-entry. He has unreservedly, unreservedly apologized to the government of South Africa. The department is satisfied with the apology and will withdraw the charges against him. And another CNN apology. CNN and host Jake Tapper have apologized for an on-screen banner that Tapper says horrified him when it appeared during his show. He was on vacation, so he was watching his show. 
He responded to outraged viewers with Twitter posts explaining he's furious. The offending phrase appeared during a discussion among the substitute host of Trapper's show, Jim Scuto, and two journalists about President-elect Trump's support for the alt-right. The segment focused on a white nationalist leader whose anti-Semitic declaration Scuto called hate-filled garbage. An on-screen caption stated, alt-right founder questions if Jews are people. CNN issued a statement calling the caption poor judgment, saying it very much regrets it and apologizes. One of the journalists on the show was from the Boston Globe, who said Tuesday he was bombarded with messages calling him a closet Nazi because the caption appeared on screen below his image and led people to believe that he was the white nationalist leader in question. Juxtaposition is sometimes the worst position to be in. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Saturday. 
to sense again Four and got one and we dropped the seven ten Can't you hear the balls From London, this is Le Show. Uh, this week in the United States, uh, Donald Trump, president-elect, was um, embarked on uh, something a, a bit, a bit surprising, perhaps uh, for some, who had noted his uh, his protestations of disgust with the American media throughout the presidential campaign. Uh, most notably when he uh, would point the uh, reporters who were covering his frequent campaign rallies who were penned in at the uh, back of the uh, arena where he was uh, having his rallies. And he would uh, point to them, attracting the crowd's attention to turn around and pointing them out as scum. But this week was different. He had a meeting on uh, Monday with uh, representatives of the TV network well, the executives and uh, the talent, including David Muir. Thank you for joining us on the Thursday evening with uh, Donald Trump. And um, now at that meeting, he did uh, relieve himself of some uh, some more protestations about the coverage that he'd received. Uh, these were that, that was a private meeting. But then on Tuesday, he had a, a private meeting with the publisher of The New York Times, followed by an on-the-record meeting with uh, sometimes reporters and columnists, uh, at which he uh, he kind of was far more gentle, approving, almost, well, not almost, adulatory about the Times, called it a crown jewel of America and of the world, one of the world's jewels. Although maybe he doesn't like jewels. Anyway, uh, so he met with... Uh, Network News, TV Network News, met with the New York Times. Only um, one major news organization he uh, hasn't met with yet. Until now. From CPR, Continental Public Radio, this is a special report. Donald Trump visits CPR. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. Late Friday afternoon, a week of sometimes tense, sometimes humorous negotiations culminated in a visit by President-elect Donald Trump to CPR headquarters here in the nation's capital. Those negotiations started with a request by the Trump campaign for the visit, followed by a tweet from Mr. Trump saying he was calling off the session on grounds that CPR had posted a, quote, ugly picture of him on its website. That, in turn, was followed by a public statement by CPR's new president, the former rock-and-roll DJ B. Mitchell Saint, now known as 
the real Victor Laszlo, who assured Mr. Trump that the conversation here would be fair and would, in quotes, rock his world. Mr. Laszlo also provided documentary evidence that CPR has no functioning website. Within an hour, the meeting was back on again. In attendance, in conference room A, were CPR head of news Ira Zipkin, CPR special correspondent Aviva Schlorman, and CPR host emeritus Chris Edwards. Now, here are highlights of that meeting. First, as Mr. Trump enters the room. I, uh, I like the building very much. Very impressive building. Yes. How old is it? It was completed in 2010. Very nice. I'll tell you what, though. It should have been done in concrete, which would have been much cheaper. The Concrete Workers Union is one union you can really make a deal with. I'm sitting here. Uh, yes, sir. By the way, you've been very rough on me, huh? Well, Who is this, Ira? Yes, sir. Well, I think we've all been very No, rough. you've said some things that were not nice. Well, you know, I listen. I don't give money, but I do listen. But this is a great organization. I should give money, but I don't. <laughs> Early on in the conversation, Aviva Schlorman asked a question about the recent Thanksgiving holiday. Mr. Trump, I know from personal experiences that CPR listeners are very interested in traditional family recipes, particularly around holiday time. Is there a Trump family way of doing Thanksgiving and are sweet potatoes part of the mix? Yeah, to tell you the truth, most years we uh, just go to a nice steakhouse. I have the filet because everybody says it's the finest cut of beef, although many people will tell you the New York Strip is tastier. They, uh, they'll try to serve me a baked potato, but I usually get them to bring me some fries. And, uh, and then, of course, I'm very thankful. I usually leave a nice big tip because, you know, these people work a holiday. I know they get overtime, at least in New York, which is still very heavily unionized, which can be good or bad, depending. But I figure one day a year, being a little over generous, it never hurt. You know, tell you the truth, one year they wouldn't make the fries. And then I think we went, uh, well, you might say less than overboard in that department. Ira Zipkin, who used to host the weekly book bag program on this network, tackled the sensitive subject of the president-elect's reading habits. I'm, uh, I'm going to use a, <laughs> a Trumpian turn of phrase here. No, go ahead. I'm sure I'll feel flattered. Well, many people, very knowledgeable people, say that uh, you've never read a book. Mm -hmm. Is that true, or is it hyperbole just to sell something yeah. besides books? <laughs> Let me tell you something. If I had a million dollars for every person who's ever said that, I'd be as rich as I actually am. Seriously, because you know I was kidding there. I'm amazed at people who think you can get to where I have gotten, who can accomplish what I've accomplished, who can socialize with all the different kinds of people I'm friends with all over the world, that you can do all that and never read a book. So I guess you have to say, it's a pretty amazing thing. But I mean, I read, I watch, I probably look at more different websites every day than any of you because you're probably busy making up your shows. So I think I am very likely the best informed person to sit in the White House in a long time. That's, and that's not an insult to Mr. Obama. We had a very good meeting. He was very nice to me. But he's start, he said this to me. He's starting each day reading the stuff the CIA feeds him. So you tell me who's spending his time more wisely. 
Finally, Chris Edwards asked a question about the relationship between President-elect Trump and his private business affairs. Uh, Mr. Trump, we're... You know, I used to say I fall asleep just at the very sound of your voice on the radio, but to tell you the truth now, sitting here with you in person, it's very soothing. Go ahead. Thank you, sir. There's some concern abroad in the land regarding your apparent hesitancy to have some kind of, pardon the expression, Chinese wall or bright red line or something very solid and robust mm -hmm. between your presidency and your business. Well, I'm just wondering if you could explain in more detail how you think that's going to work. Chris, and seriously, I think you're a great interviewer, not only with a lot of depth, but an incredible lack of shallowness. I'll tell you exactly how it's going to work. You know how on your network, you have a Chinese wall, so-called, between the advertising side. Well, well, we call it enhanced underwriting. But, <laughs> and the news side. Yes, sir. But somebody can give you a grant to cover a certain subject that happens to be exactly their line of business. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's going to work just like that. Now, I've enjoyed this very much. I promise you, we'll do it again. Although one of my people just pointed out that ugly picture of me is on your app. Uh, so let's try to work together and be nice, okay? You'll be very happy. Well, yeah. would you like Thank you. And so, 37 minutes after it started, the meeting with the president-elect came to an end. He walked out to his waiting security entourage to enjoy his own driveway moment. Funds for coverage of this meeting came from the CPR Special Events Inside Its Own Building Fund. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio. And now we resume normal programming, if there is such a thing. Uh, you probably are aware, ladies and gentlemen, that during his campaign, President-elect Trump uh, said on more than one occasion that he would w want to uh, reinstate the practice of waterboarding uh, suspected terrorists or detainees and uh, said waterboarding, it works, and maybe even rougher things. Uh, this, of course, in the wake of the refusal of the incumbent president, Obama, to comply with his uh, affirmative obligation under the Convention Against Torture and investigate, prosecute anybody uh, any one of his citizens who might have practiced torture previously because, he, you know, he was looking forward. Anyway, this week, uh, President-elect Trump said he had uh, had a meeting with uh, General, I, I don't remember his first name, but his nickname was Mad Dog Mattis, uh, was thinking about him as a potential appointee for Secretary of Defense and then mentioned that he... Uh, I think this was in the conversation with the New York Times. He said that he'd, he'd uh, had occasion to discuss waterboarding with uh, General Mattis, and gen the general had said uh, it, that doesn't work. It, uh, th there are better ways to get information from uh, detainees and suspects. Um, cigarettes, he said, and uh, I forget what else he said. Might be more advantageous than torture. So Donald Trump said, well, I, I, now I'm, I have an open mind, but I don't, I'm not as sure that I want to do it. Uh, since he's still open to persuasion on the subject, let me just remind him that waterboarding can also be fun. Well, it may not be legal, but it should as heck makes me safer. And it may not yield useful. 
fooling tale. At least that's what they say. But it's a pleasure so rare seeing captives gulp air. Let's go. Gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Major hurricanes and the accompanying damage and displacement of people will be more common. No, along the northeastern U.S. coastline. As carbon dioxide emissions continue to shift weather patterns. According to a study published this week in the journal Scientific Reports, it found that carbon dioxide produces a warming effect that has led to a northward shift of hurricane landfalls since the start of industrializations. British researchers identified the trend after analyzing the chemical composition of a stalagmite, I think it's uh, stalagmite 17, found in a cave in southern Belize, which allowed the team to reconstruct hurricane rain patterns for the Western Caribbean dating back 450 years. New research by an international team shows that the present thinning and retreat of Pine Island Glacier in West Antarctica is part of a climatically forced trend that was triggered way back in the 1940s. 
a team made up of scientists from Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in uh, California, as well as the British Antarctic Survey and several others, including NASA. May not be doing that for long. Analyzed sediment cores recovered beneath the floating Pine Island Glacier ice shelf. The team concluded the date at which the grounding line retreated from a prominent seafloor ridge was in 1945 at the latest. The team also found the final ungrounding of the ice shelf from the ridge occurred in 1970. Our results suggest that even when climate-forcing events such as El Nino's, which create warmer water, weakened, ice sheet retreat, say that three times fast, continued, said uh, lead author of the article. The West Antarctic ice sheet is one of the largest potential sources of water that will contribute to rising sea levels. Over the past 40 years, glaciers floating, flowing into the Amundsen Sea sector of the ice sheet have thinned at an accelerating rate. Arctic scientists have warned the increasingly rapid melting of the ice cap risks triggering 19 tipping points in the region that could have catastrophic consequences around the globe. The Arctic Resilience Report found that the effects of Arctic warming could be felt as far away, this is Arctic warming now, as far away as the Indian Ocean. In a stark warning, the changes in the region could cause uncontrollable climate change at a global level. Temperatures in the Arctic are currently about 20 degrees centigrade above what would be expected for this time of year. I think we mentioned that last week on this program. The Arctic, uh, in fact, the Arctic archipelago of Svalbard has seen such extreme warmth this year, the average annual temperature could end up above freezing for the first time on record, scientists say. The average temperature in the main settlement, which I can't pronounce, is expected to be zero Celsius, 32 Fahrenheit, with a little over a month left of the year. This is a little bit shocking, said the scientist. If you'd asked me five or ten years ago, I could not have imagined such numbers in 2016. Svalbard is a very good spot to show what's happening in the Arctic at the moment. He said, noting that each of the past 73 months at that spot has been warmer than average. The rising temperatures in the Arctic are affecting permafrost and snow cover as well as the amount of sea ice. So they're doing their job. News of the War, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio here in London. Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it. HarryShare.com and KCSN.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast at SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And be just like
Donald Trump visiting your place and telling you how nice you look. If you'd have joined with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans, and at Adrian Bonham here at that nutty little obsession called Global Radio here in London for help with today's program. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts before everybody else does. That's all available at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from Blighty.